0: Anyone, any mother-in-laws here? I love mother-in-laws. I have one. A man, his wife and his mother-in-law were traveling through Israel. They'd saved up and planned for this trip for a long time. Unfortunately, while they were over there, the mother-in-law passed away. And so the husband uh, engaged the services of an undertaker and he was talking to the undertaker about what to do. And the undertaker said, well, you've got a couple of options. One is for $5,000, we can fly your mother-in-law's body back to your country of origin and have a burial there. Or for $150, we can bury her right here for you. The guy said, let me think about that for a second. He said, I'm going to fly her home. The undertaker was completely baffled. He said, why would you fly her home? It's going to cost you 5000 Are you listening? $5,000 to fly the body back home. Or for $150, you can have her buried here in the Holy Land. He says, yes, no, but you don't understand. See, 2,000 years ago, a man died here, was buried, and three days later, he came back to life. I cannot afford to take that chance. I love Easter because that is my favorite joke, and I get to tell it once a year. So those of you that have been coming along to Arise for a while, you've you've heard it many times. Next year, forget you've heard it because I'm going to say it again welcome to our Easter service 2019 as I said before I love Easter because for me Easter is the pinnacle day as it were upon which I hinge my faith and my belief I want to I want to share a thought with you this morning And I want you to do me a favour. I want you to stay open. So there are some people here and and you have come along to our church. Please don't shut me down. Don't get up and walk out and don't call me a heretic and throw bananas and cakes at me. Let me finish. Those of you that that have maybe visiting on holidays, um, please, I ask for the same grace from you. Those of you that don't regularly attend church, uh, I want you to just bear with me, open up your heart open up your mind and just have a think about some of the things that we're going to talk about right now. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, open up our hearts, open up our minds. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you allow every person in this room to get a clearer picture of who you are and of what this day is about. I just pray you would speak to people's hearts. Lord, take what I'm about to say, interpret it, God into a language that each person here will understand. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible there, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. I was driving in my car today, uh, on Friday, and a radio uh, news broadcast came on. And on this news broadcast, there was a priest who was being interviewed, and they were talking about how Good Friday and, you know, all the shops are closed. Most of them are closed on Good Friday. And this priest made a statement, and this is what he said. I I wrote it down as soon as I could, as quick as I could, and this is as accurately as I can remember him saying this. He said, It's a great thing that no trade is done on Good Friday, as it gives us a chance to slow down and reflect on issues such as suffering and the like. Issues that were reflective in the life of Jesus. And when I heard that statement, I thought, I understand the sentiment completely, but something inside of me dug my heels in and said, but I absolutely disagree with this statement. I absolutely disagree. You know, Jesus made a lot of statements. He taught about a lot of topics. He gave insight into a lot of situations, the human condition of the heart. He talked about uh, relationships and breakdowns. He talked about suffering. He talked about the poor. And he encouraged his followers, those that, that claimed to follow after him, he said to them that we should constantly be aware of the suffering that's going on in the world around us. We should constantly be aware of the poor. We should constantly be aware of what's happening and that we should play our part, as big or little as we feel that is, we should each play our role in helping to alleviate the pain and the suffering here on planet Earth. We should be doing stuff to better the communities in which we live in and the society in which we're in and so on. So I don't think Good Friday is a day... Where as a church, and even as those who don't believe in Jesus, I don't think Good Friday and and, 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 uh, Easter Sunday this weekend is a weekend where we should be reflecting on and thinking about the issues that Jesus talked about. It's really a day where we need to reflect upon and think about the person of Jesus Christ. It's a day where we need to think about this thing that we call the resurrection. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's a day where we need to be confronted with the question, did this really happen? And if so, what does it mean to me? If a person is capable of predicting their own death and resurrection, and then if they're powerful enough to actually pull it off, then I would suggest that we should listen to absolutely everything that that person has to say. Amen? Amen. For those of us that have put our faith in what Jesus did, for those of us who believe in the resurrection, I I challenge each of us as Christians, if we really believe that happened, and if he did that, and Jesus did, he predicted his own death, he predicted his own resurrection, then he did it. If he was good enough, if he was able to predict that and perform it and pull it off, then we should take seriously everything that that man had to say. This is how important the issue of the resurrection is. If he did not, Resurrect himself. If he did not come back from the grave, then that would be an outrageous claim and a massive lie. So, our entire faith, everything we read in this book, everything we believe, hinges on this one moment and this one issue did Jesus actually raise from the dead? There are many, many angles I could take with that this year, and in previous years I have gone down different pathways. But I want to take a little bit of a different pathway this year. I want to start by talking about a man by the name of Paul. There's a guy in the Bible. And there's a historical writer, his name was Luke. And Luke wrote a book in the Bible. Anyone tell me what the name of that book is? It's Luke, exactly. It's been bound together in this leather thing here that all of us have, even those of us that don't believe it and don't follow Jesus. We got these books on our shelves and in our cupboards and in our drawers. But there was a guy called Luke who years ago did some research and studied the life of Jesus and went and got eyewitness accounts and compiled a record, a historical record of Jesus' life. And it's recorded in this book called Luke. He also wrote a second historical document, which we as Christians call the book of Acts. And he highlighted and went through about the first 30 years of the existence of what was back then called the Way. It wasn't called the church, we were called the way or the road, the path. That's what Christianity was back in the beginning. It was known as the path, the road, because these people apparently claimed that they had found the right way to relationship with God. So we were called the way. I wish we were still called the way. I'd rather be called the way. Sounds cool. It just sounds cool. I'm part of the way. You know? Follow JC, I'm part of the way. It's got a swagger to it. It's like, you know when we used to meet at the G GSAC. Remember those days back at the G GSAC and, and instead of a building, I'd just say, oh, we'll meet at the G GSAC and G-Bar. It sounded so cool. Now we meet Oliver Avenue in, a, in here. Just doesn't have the same ring. But anyway. Anyway. So Paul, in the book of Acts, Luke tells us a little bit about this guy. When he comes on the scene, he is a radical anti-Jesus person. He... Is not into Jesus Christ. He's so passionately against what Jesus' uh, followers are trying to achieve that he goes about persecuting them. He's getting men, women and children. He's locking them up. He's, he's doing whatever he can to stop this, 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 what back then was considered an illegal sect, an illegal group of people meeting around, claiming this outrageous thing that this Jesus actually raised from the dead. And so he goes from being completely anti that movement to, years on, putting his head in a gallows and allowing his head to be taken off because he would not retract his faith and his belief in that moment in history. That's radical. Sometimes I think we read the Bible, we read it like a book. We don't read it like it's, these are actually historical documents bound together. Paul, Paul is not a character in a book. Paul was a human being. A flesh and blood man, just like you and me. Mary was a woman, a flesh and blood woman. Peter was a man. These, these characters we read about, I think sometimes we take it just like they're characters in a book and we forget the fact that this is not a book. It's a, 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 histor- a collection of historical documents written by actual flesh and blood people who had actual real tangible experiences. And Paul writes this letter to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. And you find it in the New Testament. And for those of you that don't go to church all the time, you probably know that the Bible's broken up into two parts, like an Old Testament and a New. And like the Old Testament is the first bit of the book. It's like Bible 1.0. And then the New Testament is like Bible 2.0. It's like the the next version of it. That's what a lot of people think. And I understand why you think that, by the way, because it looks like it's just a book. When I came to church this morning, I grabbed this one book. I put it in my bag. I'm really grateful to God that I didn't have to grab 66 uh, different parchments and roll them up and put them in. I'm glad for that, but at the same time, I'm disappointed because I feel like I've lost a little bit of the emphasis and the, the majesty of this, what's written in these pages because it just looks like a book to the world. And that's how we approach it. It's a book. Paul. Wrote this to the Galatian churches in Galatians 1 11 to 14. He says, This. He says, But I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel. Now, that word gospel is good news. Paul's talking about a piece of great information that he gathered, that he came across. He says, I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel, this good news that was preached by me. In other words, I'm letting you know the good news that I told you is not something I got from man. It's not something I got from men. For I neither received it from men nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus. So, what happened with Paul? Was Paul had this? He, he, he hates the church. He's persecuting, killing Christians. This historical figure, Paul or Saul, back in the time. He's got letters in his hand, and he's on a road towards a place called Damascus. With letters in his hand, that when he gets there, he hands these letters over, and he has authority to take all the Christian, the followers of the way, men, women, children, and bind them up and imprison them. And on the way, he has this amazing encounter. Luke records it in this book that we call Acts, this historical document. Luke would know because Luke spent time one-on-one with Paul. This is not third party. This is Luke sitting down interviewing him. It's like Jimmy Barnes' autobiography. I read it recently. And a guy sat down with Jimmy Barnes and he talks to Jimmy and he writes down and goes, well, this is what Jimmy said. He's sitting down with Luke. We know that because throughout the book of Acts, there are several passages in that historical document where he talks about he was traveling with Paul. He was a first hand companion of Paul on much of his journey. And he says that one day when Paul was going to Damascus, his bright light shone in front of him. People have problems with miracles, but they happen. They happen. And let's face it, if there was nothing and God said, let there be, and there was, then flashing a light in someone's eyes isn't that big of a deal, really, is it? If saying, let there be, and lights appeared, and planets appeared, and stars appeared, and mountains came, I mean, flashing a light in front of someone, knocking them to the ground, it's really not that big of a deal. And so Paul has this encounter, and the Bible then goes on, the writer Luke then goes on, and Paul explains later on in some of his letters that he took some time out. He didn't run over to somebody and say, can you explain this to me, please? He says, no, 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 I took some time out. And while I was having time out, God downloaded some stuff to me. God helped me understand some things. Paul had a very religious background, very religious background. And he talks about that a bit too in some of his letters. He was climbing the corporate ladder of his religion. He was ready to jump on top, rule and reign. So he had a lot of stuff in there, but he had to deconstruct it and and he had to re-look at it through a different set of lenses. And so God gets a hold of him and changes his thought patterns. But he says, I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus. For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and I tried to destroy it. He wanted to destroy this religion that eventually he would give his life for. I mean, that's a radical heart transformation for a person to go through. It's not like hating the West Tigers and then me convincing you they're the greatest team on earth. This is hating with a passion this movement to the point of sending people to death and then you becoming the one being sent to death for the very movement you tried to destroy. That is a radical transformation of a human being's heart. It says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. This is, he's telling us a bit about himself. I was climbing the corporate ladder of Judaism. I was on my way up to the top. I was, I was really fervent and passionate, and I hated the church, and I hated everything it stood for. This is his starting point. But he says he got some information. He calls it the gospel. Some good news came into his life, and that good news was enough to transform this man from this person to this person. What was that great bit of news that he got? Wouldn't it be great to be able to know, to sit him down and say, what was that good news? Well, the great thing about Paul is that he was pretty open with this stuff and he talked about it quite a bit. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he expands on what this good news is. He's speaking to the Corinthian church, a bunch of people that have come to faith in the city of Corinth. And here's what he says He says, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. And he outlines it very clearly that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures to him were the Old Testament. So if you're in church today and you're reading that, Paul didn't have the New Testament in front of him. He wasn't thinking of the New Testament. He had Old Testament stuff. And it's not like he had it leather-bound, 39 volumes bound together in a leather book. Totally different. See, sometimes sometimes we read this stuff and we think about what the world's like now. We don't realize the world now is very different to back then. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on and says, and he was seen by a whole bunch of people. He says he was seen by Cephas. Some would say that's Peter. Some theologians would argue, who cares? This guy called Cephas. And then by the twelfth. After that, he was seen by over 500 brothers at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. I mean, that's a big claim. Think about it. Paul's writing this within a time frame that people who saw the resurrected Jesus were still alive. He said there's over 500 other people that he showed. A lot of them are still alive. So if you don't believe what I'm writing here, go and find them because they're there. I'm not going to try to make it some secret little thing. I'm telling you right now, this is what I experienced. And I know for a fact there are people alive in this day and age who have seen him. Go and check it out for yourself. He's not trying to hide this thing. I mean, he's pretty open. He's pretty open about this. He's not trying to hoodwink anybody. As far as he's concerned, he's saying, this happened. This happened. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. A lot of people saw it. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't want you to put your... I, was, I was, used to run training skills years ago for an organisation called Youth of the Mission. I ran evangelism training schools. And we had a guy one day, we were in Gimpy, and there was a guy called Mark, and he was sitting in the front row, and he didn't like what this Kiwi preacher that we got across doing some training was saying. So Mark sat in the front row, and here's what he did. Because he didn't like what this guy was saying, so he sat in the front row, with fingers in his ears. And so this Kiwi guy, he's mad as a cut snake, he just got in his face and just kept on preaching like this. So whether he did the right thing, wrong thing, you can be the judge. But I don't want you to do this. Please, just hear me out. Just listen to what I've got to say. Our faith is an event-based faith, not a book-based faith. Our faith is based on an actual historical event that took place. 2,000 years ago. Not a book. Am I degrading the Bible? Not at all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all profitable. I have no problem with it whatsoever. But what I'm saying is this. My faith is based on an actual historical event that took place. 2,000 years ago. And the question we should be confronted with today, every man, woman and child sitting in churches all around the world, are not the issues Jesus taught about, the things he had to say. We should all be confronted with this. Did Jesus Christ die, be buried and did he raise again? Did he raise again? The early church took this message of this historical event to the then known world. They crossed oceans. They went through cities. They were persecuted. They were ridiculed. But they took this message of a historical event to the then the nations of the earth. And guess what? They did it without a Bible. I'm not downplaying the Bible. Please, don't go out of here and say, Helen's a heretic, he doesn't believe the Bible. I just read out read the Bible to you. I believe 100% everything in the Bible. I believe the index, the book of maps, the concordance at the end. I believe the whole thing. All right? Don't misquote me. What I'm saying is this. What the early church did, they did it without a bound copy of the Bible. They did it with faith in an actual historical event. That was the anchor point of their faith. Because this happened, we can take on the world. Because this happened, we can be transformed. Because this happened, because of this actual event, whether I'm on top of a mountain, in the bottom of a valley, whether I feel good, I feel bad, I feel happy, I feel sad, no matter any of that, because this historical event actually happened, it can never be changed, it can never be taken away, and that's where my faith is. That's where my faith is. Our faith is an event-based faith, not a book-based faith. Now... St. Jerome is considered to be the first, he was a theologian and a priest. He was considered to be the first person to compile together all the books of the Bible in one sort of a volume. He, he, he translated the Old Testament into Latin and he compiled them all into probably more what we have today and what we consider to be what we would call our Bible. Now, like I said at the start, I'm extremely grateful for that because, number one, I picked up one book and I came to church today, not 66. And that saved me a lot of time. I'm not that organised. I would have lost 43 of them probably, you know. But at the same time, I'm saddened because when we approach this thing, how often do we now approach it as a book? And how many people feel like, outside of, of the, 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 the church, that when they look in at us, how many of you have heard the phrase, we're people of the book? You know what? I would rather be known as a person of the cross because that's the power of God. Too often people think that our faith is based on a book. It's not based on a book. Praise God for Jerome for compiling it all together. That's awesome. But the downside of it is this. Now we look at it as a book with characters instead of historical documentation of actual real events put together by real flesh and blood, people who had real experiences. And we've lost the power somewhat. The word of, I'm not saying the word of God is not powerful. Don't misquote me. What I'm saying is the way we approach it and the way the world looks at it Have you ever heard the Bible referred to as the biggest selling book of all time? Stop calling it a book. It's not a book. It's a compilation of historical documents from ages old telling a story. You see, without the cross central to our faith, I don't even think this book makes sense. It's just my opinion. See, I look at an Old Testament that's pointing forward to what? to an actual historical event. It's pointing forward to a person, an event. It's pointing forward to a moment in time where something would happen. I go to the New Testament and everything I read, I read it with the understanding it's pointing backwards to an actual historical event that did take place and because of this, all of this makes sense. But when I don't have the cross at the centre, when I don't have the resurrection central to it, I understand why people don't get it. I was not brought up in the church. I had no church background, came to faith when I was 19 years of age, but a lot of it didn't make sense to me. But I want to just throw a couple of thoughts at you with this. This is the reason why I don't like people thinking or us believing or why i think it's important that we understand that our faith is an event-based faith not a book-based faith let me give you a couple of quick thoughts you can be confused by what the bible says not understand it and still be a christian but you cannot deny the resurrection let me say that again you can be confused by what who's confused by some things in the bible some things confuse you. They confuse me. Okay? You can be confused by what the Bible says. How many of you don't understand some things in the Bible? Okay, there's some things in the Bible I don't understand as well. You can still be a Christian, but you cannot not believe in the resurrection. You know, sometimes when I read the Bible, I, I, can, I can understand people that don't have a, an understanding of the resurrection. I've never been pointed to this historical moment and challenged to make a decision, challenged to look into it, challenged to investigate it. I can understand what they think. See, when I read the Bible, here's here's, here's kind of, I I guess, a little bit inside of my brain. And some of you that come to church, you you get in my brain too often sometimes. But I'm going to give you another bit. Here's the thing. I've got this God of an Old Testament called an Old Testament, right? So automatically, we've separated like an old Bible and a new Bible. That's what people think. It's an Old Testament. One's relevant, one's not. Now, the whole thing is relevant. It all combines and all centers around this moment in history called the resurrection. Okay? But here's the thing, God of the Old Testament, you do something wrong, bang, you're gone. Gotcha, suckers, you know. I can see all this death and wailing and pain and nations being abominated and all this stuff. And then between the last letter of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament and the first letter of the book of Matthew, it's almost like God had an epiphany. It's like God, it it is, it's like God encountered himself, gave his heart to himself and was radically changed. Because in the New Testament, it seems to be love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and all stuff. It's like God got saved somewhere between the two testaments. That's what it looks like. It's just such a radical looking... But when the cross is central, it makes sense. When I know the overall story, before or after, when I understand the central point of the resurrection and how it all revolves around that, they both begin to make sense. Here's the thing. Saying the Bible makes no sense. It doesn't let you off the hook what do you think about the resurrection? What do you think about the resurrection? You can disagree with a lot of what the Bible says and still be a Christian. You can disagree with some stuff in there and still be a man or woman of faith. You can. You don't have to believe 100% everything in there. God's not up there going, did you put your faith in Jesus? Yes, okay. Tick the first box now. Did you believe absolutely everything? I mean everything. Well, I struggle. Oh, you're gone. Out to go. Sorry. Sorry, next. The next guy sitting there going, oh no, I'm in trouble. In the waiting room, you know, you hear the dentist, and everybody runs out the waiting room. No one wants to be next. Eh? You can disagree with a lot of what the book says and still be a Christian, but you can't not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's so central and pivotal to our faith. You can fail to live a perfectly biblical life and still be a Christian. How many of you are perfect? How many of you are perfect? Can't put your hand on I know you are. Kathy says you're perfect all the time. You can fail to live a perfectly biblical life and still be a Christian, but you can't not believe in and accept the resurrection. It's that central and that pivotal to our faith and that's what this weekend is about. It's not pointing us to an issue, to a topic. It's pointing us to a moment, an event in history that actually happened and it's confronting us with the question, do you believe it and if so, what does it mean to you? Do you believe it and what does it mean to you? So saying the Bible makes no sense does not let you off the hook. Disagreeing with what the Bible teaches doesn't let you off the hook. Knowing a supposed hypocrite or somebody that calls himself Christian and doesn't do the right thing, pedophile priests or or exorbitant preachers who have millions of dollars and don't pay tax, knowing all that stuff doesn't let you off the hook. It doesn't let anyone off the hook. Because the question of faith has got nothing to do with that. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Did it happen? And if it did, what does it mean? To you that's the point that's what this weekend is all about further on in first corinthians 15 don't worry about going there paul goes on and talking about the resurrection he's so serious about this point that he makes this statement he says if it didn't happen we should be pitied above all people so if you're sitting here right now and you are not a believer and you're saying this is a load of rubbish it never happened look around at the rest of us and start laughing because we are fools we're clowns we're wasting our life we're wasting our time but see, I believe it happened. I believe it happened with all my heart. The two questions that every one of us should be confronted with. Sitting in church today is one, did Jesus die and raise from the dead? And two, if so, what does it mean for me? Just in closing, let me answer those two questions from my perspective, from me. This is just for me. I'm not saying you have to agree with me, this is me. Why do I believe? that he actually raised from the dead. I can't fathom a lie that I'd be prepared to start and then sit back and watch other people die for it. Yet that's what we're claiming these historical figures did. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul. The list goes on. We're claiming that they were involved in starting a lie. That 2,000 years later has spread worldwide in the year 2019, in places like India and Indonesia, Middle East, people are still dying, physically giving their lives, and all they have to do is turn around and say, it never happened, I don't believe it anymore. But something so deep has grabbed a hold of them that they will not deny the reality of this moment, this historical moment 2,000 years ago where Jesus died, was buried and resurrected. and gave them hope and gave them new life. They won't deny it. I can't think of a lie I'd be prepared to tell and then sit back and watch other people die for it, let alone tell a lie that I myself would follow through for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and then put my head in the stocks and allow somebody to take my head off. At some point, I'd have to turn around and go, just kidding. (laughs) Didn't think it'd go this far, actually. Got a bit out of control, didn't it? I can't fathom a lie that I'd be prepared to tell. I don't understand why these biblical writers... These historical figures would say that when Jesus resurrected, one of the first groups of people to see him were women. You go back to the culture of the day. Nobody took a woman's word seriously. She's not the witness you want. If you're going to start a lie, come on, be smarter than that. Don't say it was a woman, unless you wanted everyone to know really quickly. No one got it. I don't understand why they would do that. You know, 11 out of the 12... People that walked with Jesus, we know of the 12 disciples, 11 of them gave their lives, spears through sides, dragged behind horses to their death, beheaded, crucified on crosses, one upside down. If it's mass hysteria, how do you get that many people to believe a lie and how many do you get that many people? And at what point does it stop? It hasn't for 2,000 years. This movement called the church, this movement called the way has continued to go on and on and on. And because of that, you're here. If it was wiped out, you wouldn't be here. You would not be here if the resurrection was not somewhere in the psyche of humanity. You would not be here today. You wouldn't be here. And we think it's just this blasé event and we don't need to check it out. It doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. If I was here on planet Earth and I was given 80 years and God said to me, whatever God is, said to me, you've got one question you can spend your whole life trying to discover an answer to, what would it be? You know what mine would be? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then I better take seriously everything he said about eternal life, about sin, forgiveness, grace, love, mercy. If he didn't, scrap it. If he rose from the dead, then nothing else really matters. If he didn't rise from the dead, well, nothing really matters. But I believe he did. Because I can't fathom a lie that I'd be prepared to die for or a lie I'd be prepared to propagate. The second reason why I believe is because at 19 years of age, sitting in a caravan with all my drunk mates around me, we'd been out the night before and we'd done the stuff that we do. You know, we laugh and laugh and laugh as if we're the life of the party and life's really good, but deep down on the inside, I'm dying. Deep down on the inside, I'm depressed. When the song's over, when the alcohol and all that stuff wears off and there's not a girl hanging off your arm and you're alone by yourself and you look at the state of your heart, you look inside and you go, what is this all about? I can't find meaning and purpose. And I sat bolt upright in my caravan one morning. i have been out with all my mates and I sat up in my van and all around the room, I've got all these bodies mates of mine asleep on the caravan floor, someone's on the kitchen table, someone's on the chair, people everywhere. And I sat up and a thought came into my head, came in and out like that really quick. But it was so powerful and so strong and it scared me. And this was the thought, if this is all there is to life, Alan, why don't you finish it? I'd thought along those lines before, but my happy-go-lucky nature had kind of fended that off. But for this particular moment this morning, I realised if I had something within arm's reach, I wouldn't be here today. And it scared me. It scared me. So I thought, there's got to be something out there. And you know what? Of all the religions and all the thoughts and philosophies out there, there's one consistency in most of the major world religions. And you know what it is? It's this person of Jesus Christ. He's a prophet, he's a teacher, whatever, but he's consistently popping up everywhere. So there's got to be something about the person, the historical person of Jesus Christ. So I began a bit of a journey, a bit of a search. I didn't go looking through documents. I didn't look into Bibles and stuff. I just opened up myself and said, God, if you're there and I've got a funny feeling, there's got to be something more to life than what I see, taste, touch, feel and smell. If you're there, I just need you to do something inside of me. I could have prayed wrong, I don't know. I didn't know how you prayed. I wasn't brought up in the church. But it came from in here and I was serious. God, if you're there, please show yourself to me. And over a series of time, God miraculously revealed himself to me through a couple of events. And you know, I stepped across the line. You know, when I stepped across the line, I still didn't know anything about God other than I believed he was real. I didn't know about praying or reading the Bible or, you know, uh, giving or tithing or serving or... or I didn't know any of that. I just knew that God's there and he's all-consuming and if he's really there. and, And I opened myself up and he came. And he changed my life. I don't know how he did it. So I read this figure of Paul and I go, Paul, I can kind of understand where you're coming from. I wasn't radically passionate against the church, but something transpired in your heart, Paul, and turned you into a man that would lay his head in a gallows and say, take it, I'm not going to deny what I know to be true. And I feel a little bit like Paul. I can't deny, even though there have been times in my life where I want to, I can't deny the reality of Jesus in my life. He took a 19-year-old, insecure, scared, nervous, kid that felt inferior to the rest of the world and and worth nothing. And now I've got a beautiful wife. I've got beautiful kids. Uh, We've been several places of the world. God gives me the chance to stand in front of people and tell them about Jesus, which I just think is amazing. I've got peace in my heart. I don't feel guilty for the mistakes and the bad things that I've done anymore. He's taken away the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. I feel at peace with God. Not because of my own human efforts, but because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. You see, he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. The wages of sin is death. Peter touched on that before. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. In other words, put it this way. Every one of us have fallen short of God's perfection. God is perfect. None of us are. And there's a space between the best I can be and who God is. And that space needs to be filled by something. And I can't fill it myself. And so Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. He who knew no sin, he who did nothing wrong, says instead of you paying for it, I'll pay for it for you. And he hangs on a cross. That's the story of Easter. He hangs on a cross and he dies. Not for anything he did, but for what you and I did. And then just to show off, he raises from the dead, just to prove he's God. He comes out of that term in three days' time. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The message of Easter is this, that Jesus Christ died for you, was buried for you, was resurrected for you. He took upon himself all that which you can't take, which you don't have to take upon yourself. You can choose to live for yourself. You can choose to live. You can choose to take your own chances. You can choose to stand before God and hope that when you get there, he goes, oh, you're one of the rare ones, you made it, in you go. But it's not going to happen. Or you can accept that you deserve punishment. You deserve the wrath of God. But the Father wants to give you grace instead, but it's your choice. It's your choice. And it doesn't hinge on whether you understand the Bible. It doesn't hinge on whether you believe everything in the Bible. It doesn't hinge on whether you know a hypocrite or it hinges on this simple question. Do you believe in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ? And if you do, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Maybe today you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. In a couple of seconds, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you're interested in handing your life over to him, just inviting God in like I did. Nothing fancy, nothing super. I'm not, trying to, I'm not going to hang around for hours and beg you because between you and God, I get nothing out of this. I'm gonna ask everyone in a second to close their eyes, bow their head. I'm just gonna ask you to put your hand in the air. Why do I do that? It's just a simple act of faith between you and God. I'm not gonna call you out the front, not gonna tell anybody what you did. It's between you and God, but it's one step towards him, going, Hey God, here I am. And I hear what that guy's talking about. And I feel like there's something inside of me bubbling around right now. There's butterflies, there's something, and I don't get it all, don't understand all, but I feel like there could be some truth in that. So, Lord, I just want you to come. I'm gonna give you the chance to do that in a second. If you're sitting here right now and you're just going, This is a load of rubbish, I don't believe you, let me just say to you this you better make sure you know why you don't believe it because the consequences are too big from the perspective of what these ancient writers that wrote this book about the consequences are too big for you to be blasé about the resurrection of Christ. There's plenty of great material out there that you can find, that you can read. Come and see me later on. I'll give you some names of some books, some people that you can YouTube, read about, listen and try to find out some more stuff. So if everyone can just close their eyes, just really quickly close your eyes, bow your head. This is a private moment between individuals and God. I'm not going to call you out the front. I'm not going to make a big scene. I'm not going to uh, point you out to anybody. This has got nothing to do with anyone but you and God. And I believe God's good enough to follow through on this. When you open up your heart, trust me, 19 years of age, I opened up my heart. I didn't have all the answers, but I said, Lord, if you're there, come in, show me. And he did. He's taken me on a journey. It's been a wonderful journey. If you're here today and you'd like to ask God to come and reveal himself to you, take residence in your heart, you'd like to accept what Jesus did on that cross, that it was for you, that you'd like to receive that forgiveness of sin that the Father has to offer to get the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. If you want to make a choice today, stop living for yourself and start living for him. If that's you here, I just want you to raise your hand. Just chuck it in the air, pull it straight back down. I'm not going to make a big deal. Thank you, thank you. There's a few hands there. I'm not going to point out. I'm not here to... to, This is between you and God. There's been a couple of hands anymore. Anybody else? I want to pray for you in a second. I'm not going to get you up the front. I'm going to leave you there. We're just going to pray. Anybody else? No? Fantastic. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying. Thank you for resurrecting. Thank you for your love for me. Lord, thank you that you weren't prepared to sit back and watch me suffer. But you made a way through the cross. Father, I open my heart up to you now. God, fill me. Change me. Forgive me. Take me on a journey. Reveal yourself to me. Change my life. Give me the strength to walk your way and to live for you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Now stop. We, we, I'm, I'm not pointing out anybody, but a few hands went up there. And those of you that have been around the church for a while, you know what's going on upstairs at the moment. The Bible says something happens in heaven when somebody opens their heart. And what is it? No one? What is it? Let, let's, let's show them. Let's show them what happens in heaven. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Well, look, I've kept you back a little bit longer than normal. Uh, it's getting hot in here. Um, listen, I just want to encourage you, those of you that put your hand up. I want to encourage you, if, you if, if, if you've just put your hand up, I want you to be expecting that God's going to begin. Things are going to start to happen. Don't just pass them off as consequence. Don't just pass them off as, oh, isn't that funny? No, this is God now, taking seriously what you just said. And maybe a good starting point, if you want to, if you're comfortable, why don't you find somebody, maybe someone you came with, or, or if you want to come and let me know you can, whatever, why don't you just let someone know, hey, just want to let you know, I'll put my hand up, I pray to prayer. Don't jump on them. If they come to you, don't jump on them. Don't start giving them all these things they have to do. Just say, fantastic, awesome, and, and, and get on the day with them. Okay, and pray for them. Okay? Awesome? Okay. And I pray this week too, God, give everybody in this room a chance to tell somebody about Jesus, somebody who doesn't yet know the goodness of God. Amen. Thank you. Have a great rest of your weekend, guys. And sorry, oh, that was a great clap, wasn't it? It's like, ah, thank you. Two people just open their hearts to the Lord. I'd be clapping Jesus' heart for that. Um, and by the way, I've, I've got a shaky thing happening here, but I can't get up the back. Adam, happy 21st birthday, brother a big one. Happy 21st, mate. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.